Hi everyone, and welcome to the 221st episode of Kingdom Hearts Union. I'm your host Brandon, and I'm here with Churro! Hi guys. Churro. What's up? There's been a lot of stuff that came out for Kingdom Hearts. <laughs> I know, we haven't had something like this since Melody of Memory? A long time, like, wow. That was last year too, that was Melody of Memory came out last year. Yeah, Mel- yep, Melody of Memory. Actually, this is like way bigger than anything from Melody of Man- Mel- uh, Melody of Memory ironically. I'm... And that was a that was a paid full game that we had to pay for. Yeah, that's like you said, it's the ironic <laughs> part of it and this little mobile game gave us a heck of a lot of information and things to, you know, analyze. <laughs> Yeah, it really has. Like, I, I don't know how you feel about it, but at least for me, I would I would say, and this is sort of like a plea to any Kingdom Hearts fans that have still not experienced uh, what the mobile game story has to offer, I would say that Kingdom Hearts, you know, this whole mobile project from key all the way through the end of Union Cross, I would say it adds up to at least two full games worth of a story. At least, you know, I feel like we've got everything from uh, the beginning of Key all the way through, you know, the end of the Keyblade War and then everything from, you know, you know, the Dandelions, Unchained Key all the way through to the end of Union Cross. I feel like that's like its own separate game as well. So I feel like there's at least two games worth of story, not counting even, you know, uh, Dark Road. Which, you know, is small, but, uh, you know, packs a punch, too. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that that's uh, that's the game uh, we're going to be talking about today. So, uh, just going to say, uh, right up front, uh, we will uh, have uh, a nice chunk at the beginning of the episode where we're not talking about any spoilers. So, even if you haven't... Uh, even if you're not fully caught up on Union Cross, you know, stay tuned. It's fine. You know, there's still going to be a lot of stuff we can talk about uh, prior to us getting into the discussion. Uh, and we will uh, thoroughly warn you of any spoilers prior to us uh, getting into a spoiler discussion. Uh, so yeah, anyway, for you new folks, Kingdom Hearts Union is part of the podcast series called Final Fantasy and Kingdom Hearts Union, and it's presented by the Gaming Union Network. We release every Tuesday, rotating each week with Final Fantasy Union, and we come out on the iTunes Store, Spotify, KingdomHeartsUnion.com, and... Kingdom Hearts Union's Twitter, which is at Cage Union. And, and yeah, we have a two-segment show today. Our first segment is a news segment. Believe it or not, we do have a, a we do? couple of news pieces. And uh, we have a second segment, which is going to be our Kingdom Hearts Union Cross finale spoiler cast. It's going to be a long one. It's good. Yeah, it's going to be big. So get ready. Uh, in the way of announcements, as always, if you guys like the show, please consider supporting us on Patreon at patreon.com slash FFKHUnion. Our Patreon executive producers for this episode are as follows. We have Louis James. We have Zach Duranto, Rachel Casterton, who's at Orba Yoon Ray. Barry Norton, who's at Nortron Zero, Zelda Clone, who's at Apes Type Novels, uh, Joseph Robertson, who's at Pokemon Trainer J, Alex and Rachel Troutman, who are at Akira Namejin, Miles Ribbons, Billy Jackson, who's at underscore Billy Jackson, Thorin Bullen, who's at Massacre23, 
Tom Hughes, who's at Tom underscore Hughes 22, and Yam Potato, and uh, Churro, if we could take these last ones. We got Noah Luttrell, Ryzen, Sam Ennis, Chris Willis, Fayez Bialy, Joshua Johnson, who's at the Cancer Bus, Freya Stella, Lauren Luscombe, Tom Michael Verne, who's at Phoenix02SA, Marco Liliu, and Timmy Turner's Babysitter. And be a part of the show. Send us your questions to khuquestions at gmail.com. Uh, yeah, clearly we, we don't have a question segment this episode, but yeah, if you uh, get your questions in for the next episode, that would be great. Um, yeah, actually, our next episode uh, is going to come after E3. So in the event there's anything E3 related, uh, yeah, I guess we'll talk about it on that episode. Yeah, it's going to be on but Sunday yeah, on. for the Square Enix thing, too. Yeah, yeah, that's going to be nuts. I can't wait. So yeah, uh, moving on to the news. First bit of news is Kingdom Hearts Union Cross finale has finally released in the Japanese version. Is that good news or bad no news? No word. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, that could be bad news. Uh, no word on the global version yet. So if you're a global version exclusive player and you're not going to... Uh, read fan translations then yeah it's bad news unfortunately at the at the finish line square Enix has decided to separate the releases of the global version and the japanese version and we don't know when the japanese uh the, when the global version is coming out so yeah that's just gonna be it just how it is it just said that yeah after it is the last two updates Japan and, and the global versions were separate by one hour. And at like you said, the finish line, now we don't Just know. Dropped the ball. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so who knows when. Maybe you know, maybe it'll be one of those things where it'll come out um around E three, if we're lucky. <laughs> but uh yeah, we'll just have to see how that uh how that wraps up. Um but yeah, uh, so yeah, because of that, that is why we're going to remain conscious and uh, considerate of uh, global versions. And we're not going to go crazy in- into spoilers because we know there's going to be several people that, uh, you know, are waiting for that to release first um, before, uh, you know, they-, they get into the finale. So that's why uh, I, I won't say that Kingdom Hearts Union Cross finale spoilers are fair game. I'll say they are not fair game. Uh, but we may, you know, talk about them in future podcasts. But if we do, we will thoroughly uh, warn you in advance before talking about it. Whereas if we're talking about Melody of Memory spoilers, those are fair game. Union Cross, we're going to hold off until that's all out in the wild and then once that is all out in the wild then they will be fair game um so yeah uh so yeah just you know the, since that's that's pretty much all we're gonna say on uh union cross is finale until we get to the spoiler cast um which will be after the news segment next bit of news is another bit of very sad news uh genzo wakayama the Japanese voice actor for Ansem the Wise and Zeus from Hercules has unfortunately passed away. He was 88 years old. Aww. 
sad. Yeah, so sad. I, I will say my favorite line that I feel like sticks with me that he performed is when he says Ansimu in uh in Kingdom Hearts 2. And the reason it sticks out in my mind is because the animation that they made for him saying Ansem in Japanese still remains in the English version. If you look when uh so this is specifically, you know when uh, uh Diz or Ansem the Wise is sitting in the chair and they're, you know, monitoring Roxas and you know as they're like looking at his data, his memories and whatever. And uh Riku slash Ansem Seeker of Darkness is standing there hood on and he's like, "Oh, and who are you?" It's like, "Oh, uh I'm Ansem." And then he laughs and he's like, "Oh, so you are Ansem." And even in the English version, the lip shapes still say Ansemu. So there's three syllables, not two. And yeah, that that always reminds me of the Japanese version. So very sad to hear that he's passed away. And yeah, it's going to be sad without him. Uh, and yeah, the last bit of news is not directly related to Kingdom Hearts, and you know I'll move through it quickly. But I figured I did want to at least bring this up: the fact that uh, the preview build of Unreal Engine Five has been released publicly. Um, so Unreal Engine Five is currently being uh, tested and already being used to develop games at several game studios. There's uh. For example, uh, the Coalition, they're uh, the studio with that works with Microsoft on making uh, the Gears of War series. They've already confirmed that they're working on a game uh, in Unreal Engine Five. Uh, there's uh, a studio called Flying Wild Hogs that they have Unreal Engine Five, uh, a build that's actually ahead of what the preview build is. Um, and actually, Square Enix has already announced that uh, Dragon Quest Twelve. Uh, is their first game that they're announcing that will be running on Unreal Engine 5. Uh, obviously, Dragon Quest XI ran on Unreal Engine 4. And uh, I myself have uh, already started working in Unreal Engine 5. Uh, at least for me, I plan to release all my future uh, characters uh, rendered uh, in Unreal Engine 5. That is the current game plan. Uh, so yeah, I, I thought I would just give my quick impressions of Unreal Engine 5 uh, based on me being a character artist and, you know, being someone that myself has ta- have taken my uh, projects that were in development in Unreal Engine 4 and moved them over to Unreal Engine 5. And I can explain, uh, you know, what that process was like. So um so yeah, pretty much all you do uh, to get your project over into Unreal Engine 5 is literally you open Unreal Engine 5, you see all of your projects that you have, it's in a menu, and uh, if they're a different version, you select the version, uh, you select the project that you want, and then it will ask you, uh, do you want to convert this uh, to an Unreal Engine 5 project, and then you uh, you say yes, and then it takes its time and processes processes it. And when you open it, it'll take a long time to load. But once it's done loading, your project will finally be in Unreal Engine 5. So it's a pretty... Like, it, it takes time, but it's 
an automated process for the most part. So uh, to my understanding, as long as you haven't customized very much of the engine uh, for your own purposes, it's a pretty straightforward transfer over from Unreal Engine 4 to Unreal Engine 5. That has been my experience. Uh, In terms of differences uh, that I have noticed, uh, there are definitely some differences with how it renders certain things. It's not as simple as just, uh, oh, they added Nanite and Lumen. You know, there are some uh, more fundamental rendering changes that they have made that I've had to adjust for um, moving over to Unreal Engine 5. But I would say on the whole, it is definitely a big improvement. So, which is why, uh, yeah, I've decided to, you know, for my own purposes as a character artist, move 100% over to uh, to Unreal Engine 5. For the most part, all the tools are the same. Everything that I interface with as a character artist is exactly the same. Uh, nothing about it on my end changes as far as how I work. It's literally the same software. It's like, you know, you open up... Uh, you know your resume that you wrote in word 2010 and then you open up in word 2013 that's the, that's what it's like for me it's like it just works so that's that's kind of what it's like um so uh i guess just to comment on what i think the feasibility is uh or the likelihood of uh future square enix projects uh, deciding to go over to Unreal Engine 5, it, it, you know, if I feel it's likely or not, based off of my experience. Uh, I, I guess I'll, I'll start real quick with Final Fantasy VII Remake Part 2, just even though, you know, we're a Kingdom Hearts podcast, I, I at least want to comment on it real quick. I personally feel like everything that has been added to Unreal Engine 5 uh, is a no-brainer, huge improvement, and absolutely must be in Final Fantasy VII Remake Part Two, especially if they're looking to do uh, perhaps open world or, you know, a more open world. Uh, I feel like every addition that Unreal Engine 5 brings is a no-brainer need-to-have, absolutely must-need-to-have addition. And, you know... That I think like for Final Fantasy VII Remake, it's as far as should they do it, a hundred, hundred percent, yes. Everything that is a big feature in Unreal Engine 5 will directly, absolutely benefit Seven Remake Part 2. Now, do I think they're doing it? Um, so in Seven Remake's case, due to their development timeline, I feel like they would need to be already kind of similar to how Coalition is working very closely with Epic Games behind the scenes with pre-release uh, builds of Unreal Engine 5. Do I think that's happening? Yes, I think that is absolutely happening. Uh, Epic is very upfront and very open in any time they make a sizzle reel for the Unreal Engine, they always put Final Fantasy VII up front and center. Uh, if you go to the Unreal Engine main website, one of the first games that you see in their like highlight reel at the top of the page that's auto-playing is Seven Remake, the original Seven Remake. So would I be surprised that you know Square Enix has 
you know, or, or the seven remake team has been using Unreal Engine five this whole time. Not I would not be surprised at all. So I think it's very likely that seven remake part two is using it. But the only thing that makes me hesitate slightly is the fact that, uh, you know, this is a game that will most likely come out sooner rather than later. So how much it can make it can take advantage of it is, you know, to be seen. But as far as all the technology involved, uh, seven remake definitely should use Unreal Engine five. There's no question in my mind. Uh, as for Kingdom Hearts 4 or whatever the next big Kingdom Hearts console title will be, do I think Kingdom Hearts will use Unreal Engine 5 as the next engine? And I would say my answer in that case is absolutely 100%. I think Kingdom Hearts, whatever the next one is, will definitely be using Unreal Engine 5. And my uh, reasoning behind that, uh, unless unless for some reason they're like doing a re-release of like Kingdom Hearts 3 on, I don't know, on uh, next-gen consoles. If that's the case, they might not bother with switching that over to Unreal Engine 5. That, that might cause more problems than is worth. But in terms of like a new project starting from scratch, they will absolutely be using Unreal Engine 5, especially considering what Nomura said about like, you know, a big console release for kingdom hearts that it would most likely come at the end of the generation there's no doubt in my mind like why would you release an unreal engine 4 game like at the end of a playstation 5 console generation that that would be like a uh an unreal engine 3 game coming out now for the ps4 not happening so yeah based off of my experience uh yes my my initial impressions uh would lead me to think that uh ff7 i'm like 80 percent that they're they're using uh unreal engine 5 for 7 remake part 2 uh for kingdom hearts 4 who knows what they're working on but i'm i'm positive they will be using unreal engine 5 once they are ready to go all right so that pretty much wraps up uh the news segment let's move on to the kingdom hearts union cross finale spoiler cast Wow. So if it wasn't cl- if it wasn't clear, we're getting into spoilers. So fair warning. Yeah, cover your if ears. You have not. Yeah, cover your ears. <laughs> yeah, cover your ears, but keep playing the podcast. Uh, yeah, you're gonna want to get out of here. But if you do get out of here, please come back after you've seen the finale because uh, this is gonna be our big blowout talking about what we think about this. And there's a lot to get into in this one. So. Spoiler mode on. All right, Churro, let's get started. So the first major scene, and they they hit us right from the beginning with a big uh like twist right from the beginning. Uh, so Master of Masters and Lushu, it's the famous. It's like man, Lushu cannot get out of that door. Like Master Masters gave him the box. And he keeps talking his ear off before he can walk out the door. He's like, like, oh, what another thing? It's kind of like a, how, <laughs> oh, how, another how thing. you're and another thing. Like, like when you're about to go get like something to eat, and then your 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 roommates are just like, oh, another thing. Can you get this? Can you get that? Yeah, and you're just like stopping you as every time you try to exit the door. <laughs> yeah, I want to see this. This conversation has been going on literally since before Kingdom Hearts three came out. Like, if you really think about it, because we saw. The beginnings of it in in back cover, right? 
Like, I want to see every part of this conversation stitched together into one coherent scene. I want to see how long it is. And just for fun, if they could also put the release date of each clip, <laughs> that would be hilarious. Because we have been hearing that dang conversation of Lushu getting his role, getting the box, getting no name, and being sent out the door on his way this whole time. We have finally seen the finale of that conversation. So, uh, yeah, basically, here's the, here's the first big thing. The purpose of the Keyblade War was to sow distrust, distrust among the foretellers and basically making them bait by, you know, filling their hearts with uh, uncertainty and discord and feelings of unease about their friends. By making their hearts like that and manipulating them in that way, it makes them a prime candidate to be possessed by the darkness, the uh, the formless uh, entities that have no that are losing their will, that must enter the bodies of another, take on a form, uh, so that they can expand, as they say. Uh, basically, Master of Masters was manipulating all of them and creating vessels for darkness. And the purpose of doing that is because the characters known as the darknesses, these entities, because they're formless, they can't be destroyed. You know, that's that's their one main strength is if they're out, they can't be destroyed. They're formless. But if they're in a body and they, I assume, yeah, get destroyed along with that body, then that's how you know for sure they're gone for good. Case in, if they are case in point that way Venetus. yeah case in point Venetus exactly so we all know so, how Venetus came to be because yeah. you know he you know before this finale he you know the for the the new union leaders and your and the player character took on one of the darknesses and which then Ben yep. absorbed one of them into his body and then of course we know what happened yeah. after that which was ripped out of him by Master Zaynor Yep, just uh, yeah. Watch watch Birth by Sleep, and you can see what happens to that darkness. So yeah, it's really interesting that now finally we're we're getting to a lot of these uh, you know loose ends that have been sort of left throughout the Kingdom Hearts series. There was a lot of big ones like throughout the whole series, and we'll be talking about uh, quite a few of them here. So yeah, Churro, what what was your reaction to uh, this? revelation of master of masters the fact that he was uh that he was specifically manipulating the foretellers to turn them into vessels for the darknesses i looked at it and went man the master of masters is kind of a you know he's a d word in that is yeah in that (laughs) in that essence for doing it that way but it's like right he i mean I mean, to be fair, though, uh, just to bring this up really quick, uh, at least in Master Master's eyes, the way he sees it is that so there's 13 darknesses total, 13 of these entities, and the five foretellers plus Lushu and Master of Masters will take on the the seven strongest of those darkness darknesses within themselves. So as far as they are concerned, that's the uh, you know, he's also going to take on a darkness and also Lushu. 
So I, I agree. He is uh, clearly doing something that is uh, there, there, maybe uh, it's, very it's, unethical. Yeah, unethical. But he's including well. himself. Yeah, because I mean, he did mention to Lushu that he's been fighting darkness for a very long time. Since, yeah. he, was a, since he was a child. You know, he's seen, yeah. the, he's seen a war, you know, the Keyblade War before. You know, so I think that after, I mean, at, uh, at the end of the day, you know, it kind of balanced it out, but yet to have six people, you know, be used as tools to eliminate darkness. Yeah. It, it's it's kind of like the whole, the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. Yeah. You know, yeah, it, that's, it's, that's really how you have to take it if you're going to take it positively at all. Because I, even though it is interesting and... I don't know, somewhat uh, commendable in some way that he's also taking on a darkness. But just because you go down with the ship, the fact that you're taking, you know, six other people, at least six other people with you does not, you know, absolve you of that sin, of that evilness. Uh, But yeah, if you consider the fact that, oh, but by doing this, by, by bringing all of these people together to take on the worst of the worst... They are making it possible to destroy this evil, this darkness, for good, and that is, yeah, like you said, the needs of the many. The needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. But yeah, the means that he's employing are, yeah, clearly pretty unethical. Yeah, but I think that after his experience, he thinks that this is the only way to do it. In which, yeah, you know, which yeah. I'm gonna think that once sora enters and his and his friends into the picture they he's they're probably going to do it a different way like the you know the way it should have been done rather than cuz cuz master master yeah, is dead yeah. set on his way based on his experience yeah yeah so yeah that that is interesting so um so yeah in total 13 darknesses and then according to master of masters as far as he's concerned so they're going to take on the worst of the seven of the darknesses um oh let me also real quick bring up because this was uh something that was talked about a lot uh when back cover came out and uh you know once we started learning all the names of or, or even with uh i guess kingdom Hearts key once we started learning all the names of the different uh foretellers um the the fact that every single foreteller had a name that was related to one of the seven deadly sins uh including lushu being uh lust so uh, we don't know the name of Master of Masters, but I'm I'm assuming he's the other one. It, it, would he be Sloth? I forget which ones were already there, but like I, I know there's Envy and Era. So Envy would be Envy. Era, I guess, would be Wrath. Uh, Ava is Avarice, which I forget what Avarice is supposed to mean. Uh, not a common English word, but yeah, there, there's, there's a lot of, yeah. So I guess whatever the, the remaining one is, uh, is going to be, um, yeah, going to be whatever master of masters. So name is. let's Ass- see. Uh, Ava is greed. Lushu is okay, lust. Greed. That's Avarice. Envy okay, is envy. Lust. Of course. Gula is gluttony. Ira is gluttony, wrath. Okay. And Ased is sloth. Oh, Ased is sloth. Okay. So, uh, Let's see. Uh, and seven. the only thing's missing is pride, which would be probably master of masters. Uh, okay. Pride kind of fits master of masters too. That makes sense. Okay, so he's gonna have some. I would assume that yeah, his 
name will probably relate something to the word with with the word pride. This is probably not a new revelation by any means, but you know, when you think about it that way with the seven deadly sins having uh you know, being these characters names, uh the fact that they will take on the seven worst darknesses. You know, the seven worst darknesses that makes sense because they embody the seven deadly sins. So, you know, that, that, that literally makes sense, uh, from a, uh, you know, uh, foreshadowing sense, the, their names. So that's, that, that is interesting. Um, so other than those seven, the other six, are going to come from uh, the union leaders. So they, they said that five of them will come from the union leaders, and one of those union leaders will be trapped in, I guess, in Daybreak Town, which, yeah, you know, we'll, t- we'll talk about that guy that gets trapped. Um, but yeah, so five of them will come from the union leaders. And then I guess the last one, if they're still connected, uh, the last one would be Maleficent, I'm assuming, because Maleficent had a darkness with her. But we don't know if the she, if they mer- if the darkness merged within her. Yeah, merged within her or merged with anybody else. Because, it really could be. Because then you, because then it still has to explain how does Maleficent know about the box? Because that's the one other mystery we still don't have answered. Yeah, is how does Maleficent know about the box? It just suddenly, yeah. in Kingdom Hearts 3, it just suddenly came out of nowhere. It's like in Recoded, you know, you had her talking about the uh, the Book of Prophecies with yeah. Pete inside that, you know, dimension they're in. And that was the last time we heard about it. And then we saw Maleficent end up in the data world of Union Cross. And then, yep. you know, then she, it was because of the darkness influence on Maleficent caused the catastrophic events to even happen in the first place yeah so yeah. then suddenly now she knows about the box so i'm guessing i mean what you were saying there i'm guessing that that maleficent and that darkness probably merged and the information that that darkness got from the master of masters yeah probably you know had maleficent basically looking for the box yeah i mean we do know that um the that darknesses have read the uh the book of prophecies the book of prophecies because they watched they they watched master of masters write it Mm -hmm. so it's possible that yeah if uh somehow uh the darkness shared the that information with maleficent that she would also know about the contents of uh of uh the future as well and and including uh the existence of the box uh that could also, in a way, explain her actions in Kingdom Hearts 2. The fact that she's very, like, uh, like non-participant ever since Kingdom Hearts 2. Once she came back, like, she came back, but you would have expected that she would take more of a role in the events that happen. But in reality, she's mostly just walking around. And yeah, she saved Sora in, in Kingdom Hearts 2 uh, when... You know when he was, uh, you know, confronting uh, Saix, but 
That was about it. Like and then she didn't that, really do that much. And then she also saved them from the the, the no the uh, heartless swarm that was coming in the world is the uh, the world it never yeah, was. Yeah, the world. Uh, I, yeah, because I think Maleficent realized that you know taking on Sora was not the smartest idea, and that yeah, you know yeah. she rather let Sora because maybe when they got to the the, the castle. You know, she said she wanted to acquire it. So basically, why would you stand in the way of the one person that's taking care of the organization for you? Yeah, yeah. So yeah, that's that's definitely like, yeah. Th- there's like the the impression that you can take from it when you play Kingdom Hearts two, and then now it's sort of like uh, it hits a little different now. If we all, if she somehow also knows what will happen in the future to some extent. Yeah, because you know, based of her, off of what Darkness told her. Yeah, so I mean I'm I mean there's a lot of things that we didn't see within Union Cross. I'm guessing that Darkness probably told Maleficent what's going on and that's why she kinda yeah. like did not act. She's more like just watching you know, especially yeah. in Kingdom Hearts. It's 3. possible that it's possible that maybe Darkness hasn't like revealed everything in the Book of Prophecies, but only certain things that ha- are to happen also, in the future. And yeah, Lucio mentioned that they didn't read some of the parts clearly to that one Darkness oh, he spoke okay. to. Yeah, he mentioned that you know it's like like you were missing some key details about the book or something like that. So we all know that Darkness didn't you know thoroughly read the book or comprehend what was being written in it at some parts. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. I think if Maleficent knows anything from the Book of Prophecies, I think it's only going to be certain things that Darkness will allow her to know, and it's possible that be, you know, with what little information she did get, maybe that was enough for her to, you know, take the, you know, non-action that she did for the most part in Kingdom Hearts 2 and Kingdom Hearts 3 and sort of, you know, causes her more to bide her time and focus on more important things. Like, for example, in Recoded, she's focusing on the Book of Prophecy. She wants to get that. So maybe maybe that's why. Maybe because she didn't get all the information from Darkness, she wants to get... She's like, oh, well, if you're not going to tell me, I know where... You, you told me where it came from, though. It's Book of Prophecies. So what if I found that book and, and read it myself so I could get all the information? You know, if you take a bit, if you think of it that way, it makes a lot more sense why she takes a lot of the actions or doesn't take some of the actions that she does. Because clearly, you know, in Kingdom Hearts One, she was a lot more active. Yeah, she was. But then after she, she her the leader, experience with much. Darkness, she's a lot less active. Yeah, because well, she saw that what Darkness did to her basically it caused her to fall to Sora. You know, even after yep. being having her Darkness unlocked from the the Keyblade that you know. Riku created with the Princess of Heart, you know, she realized that, you know, it's not smart to charge after, make the same mistake twice. Exactly. Yeah. So now basically she's just biding her time. You know, I think that Maleficent is probably going to be the wild card when it comes to the darkest plans. Absolutely. So I think that's the way it is. Like the, you know, you have Master Master's plan, then you have Lucius' role, which he explained to Ava about it. And then you have Sora and his journey. Then you have Riku looking for Sora. And then you got Maleficent. Maleficent is going to be that wild card. I mean, she was the wild card in the, you know, the Darkness's wild card in Union Cross because of her involvement yep. that caused the events to happen in the first place. So basically, I think that that specific Darkness is going to use her as much as it can. 
Yeah. Yep. That makes sense. All right. So yeah, I guess after that, uh, the final thing that Ma- uh, that Master Master says in that conversation after Lushu has already left is that he names Lushu as the traitor. Ba-ba-da-bum. And how many, so how many people thought, saw it coming? Yeah. I thought up until that point, so he was talking about how like, you know, this was all a sham, like the whole point of the Keyblade War was to like, you know, sow discord and distrust and all that among the foretellers and make them bait for darkness. I thought, you know, the whole concept of a traitor at that point was just like null and void, like, oh, that was just a a red herring to sort of uh, create all this, uh, uh, you know bad feelings among the foretellers but the fact that he sticks with it and is like nope the concept of a trailer st- a traitor st- still exists and it's going to be lushu that's the traitor and I, I and i think it's one of those things where it's, it hasn't happened yet because you know i think it's going to happen yeah. in the next series with lushu summoning the foretellers back for them to yep, be that, that, used as the vessels that could for darkness possibly it thus him becoming fulfilling the traitor role yeah, yeah, that he's that he's leading them to the uh, to the proverbial slaughter to sacrifice them. So uh, that makes sense. Uh, it's going to be interesting when we, you know, clearly we still don't know about Aqua, but <laughs> or, or uh, Ava rather. Yeah, we Sorry. still don't know what happened to her, and basically it just ended with, you know, Lushu telling her what Master Master's plan for him was, and and that was it. So, uh, so yeah, moving on from there, uh, we get a scene in the real world. Uh, that's, that's the other thing is I need to like very clearly indicate if we're in real world or data world, because we jump around a lot with these. So we're in the real world in daybreak town in front of the arc. So brain is there with Marluxia, Elrena and Ven. Ven's already in the pod. Marluxia and Elrena get into the pods, uh, you know, Marluxia is going to be the last uh, union leader and, and basically the or is the only union leader that's going to make it out all the way as far as we have right now in this sort of setup. Because Ven is, you know, we don't know about Ven. <laughs> you know, he's KO. So as of right now, Marluxia is the only one. So he's, he's sort of entrusted with the legacy of the uh, of the uh, the union leaders hey. and uh, sends them off in the pods. And not only that, he mentioned about, remember about the whole using the arc, Master Master explains that you need a medium and you need the memories to be able to be recreated in that point in time where you end up. Brain had, it was mentioned that Brain kind of understood, you know, what it was needed to use the arc, but he also explained to them that since there is no with memories of you guys you're probably going to be yeah. off somewhere on your own with no memories of what happened yeah so, exactly so basically that, that they're just definitely seems to be what happens so basically they just they just said okay anything to get out of here but which it kind of explains how you know those three don't really remember the events of yeah you know what happened in union cross yeah well at least as of as of now, now because we don't know about at the end of Kingdom Hearts three. But, though. at least with Marluxia it was unclear. But it's funny because Eximnus points this out in Kingdom Hearts three during that cutscene where they're talking on the on the huge rocks that mm-hmm. the reason why you know you guys are here is because you have ancient you know Keyblade 
you know, legacy, legacy inside of you. Yeah. You know, so it's like that's what they mean by it. And then, of course, in Kingdom Hearts three, although we still don't know about De- uh, De- Demix, Demix or Lucer, Lucer was in that cutscene too. Yeah, Lucer, we don't even know. And then later on in Kingdom Hearts three, where Aqua and Ven were talking outside of the mysterious castle, Ven kind of tells Aqua what he what he dreamt about, and he mentioned other people. And they're big giant pets too. Yeah. So he, so Ben seemingly does have a little bit of memory of what's going on, but for some reason, it just left it at that. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. So, uh, so yeah, they're they're sent out of uh, the real. So world. it's the real world, but they're sent to the future. We don't know when. They're clearly off into separate parts. We'll talk about where they end up, but. Uh, a little later uh so then back in the data world uh in front of the arc the four uh four darknesses show up uh so so yeah there's basically five darknesses trapped in the uh in the data world one of them uh merged with ven and got out of there you know probably became vanitas uh the other four uh, are still trapped inside the data world. And then uh, uh, Scald, Ephemer, and the player are there. Uh, so they're confronted by the four darknesses and they want passage out so that they can expand into the real world. And uh, Ephemer, Scald, and the player decide to fight, but clearly that's not going to be enough. So then the player uh, is acting like they're possessed by darkness the darkness from before that, uh, you know, you know, in reality got out with Ven, but was like, uh, laughing, cackling evil and is, uh, decides to turn on Ephemer and scold and betray them, you know, as if they're being controlled by that darkness. And, uh, you know, you have your, uh, boss fight with them and, uh, uh, the player right before uh, they're about to deal the finishing blow on Scald, uh, Ephemer, uh, you know, shoots a bolt of light at them to sort of send them off to this portal cable area. I I, I, I haven't been following too it, much. It's like Kingdom the world Park's in lore. between when basically when you okay. first got sent when you first were about to explore Game Central Station. It's basically these cables that gotcha. led to the arcade where Ralph world is. So basically they're kind of like, okay. In the world in between in that grants, you know, game central station area. Okay. So that's, it kind of reminds, if you explain it that way, it kind of reminds me of, uh, the, that world between that we were in where, uh, Axel first bought the big one in, in kingdom hearts two, but it looked like that. But if you think about it in the case of this data world, it would make sense if the you know world between would look like a bunch of cables. So that okay, so that's interesting. So yeah, they're in there, and then the player is laughing at the darknesses, and it's like, oh, you thought I was possessed, and then locks themselves in that area so that they can't get out. Because he you know, locked there. one side by sending them there, and yep. then the player locks the other side, so they trap them in there. Yep, just like in uh, just like at the end of Kingdom Hearts one you know, two, two keyblades to lock the door. So that, that's interesting and consistent. And the so, sad part yeah, is they're, that he, yeah. he, he had to think about it on the whim too. So he didn't, he didn't tell scolded if a femur, what his plan was. Yeah. Unfortunately. 
Yeah, so uh, hopefully they they understood the reality of the situation, but hard to say. Um, so yeah, then uh, yeah, clearly it looks like the player uh, dies there. We'll get back to later what happens as they die. Uh, so then, uh, back in the real world, uh, Lushu shows up to find Brain alone in the Ark while Daybreak Town is being destroyed outside. So this is real world, actual destruction of Daybreak Town. Uh, Brain says he's not going to use uh, the two remaining pods, uh, but will instead send them back to the data world to save his friends. And uh, Lushu says that it... Uh, oh, well, uh, technically he says this later, but Lushu basically uh, uh, says that it would be a shame for someone so brilliant to die here. He didn't actually say it in this scene, but he does say it later, but whatever. <laughs> Close enough. And then uh, Ephemer and Skull get the two pods sent from Brain, and uh, they get in and go to the real world. Uh, the player reveals to the Darknesses that they lied about the... Uh, uh, being possessed and uh, trap them in the cable. Oh, I guess uh, we, we said this, but yeah, trap them in the cable portal. Um, then uh, the player and their Chirithi fade into light and then back into the real world. You see, it keeps cutting back and forth. Back in the real world, Ephemer and Skuld go out to see what is happening in Daybreak Town. They see the looming apocalypse, decide to go back inside. And then uh, finally we get to, okay, so this this scene is interesting. So we get a continuation of Master of Masters talking to Darkness. So it's unclear when exactly this is happening, but this is back when Daybreak Town is still fine. Everything's beautiful. Uh, they're just out in the field that is out, just outside of Daybreak Town looking out at the town, talking to Darkness about the fact that he's going to a world with where they can't conceive of. Uh, they describe it as a world where light and darkness can't reach, that it is a fictional world. And then he refers to it as, as a world of, and then he says a symbol. And it's like an X with four dots on it. So the fact that there's four dots and an X is very symbolic. You know, the, the concept of an X, the concept of there being the number four, you know, that's that, that has a lot of symbolism, you know, that if you really think about it with kingdom hearts, you know, we've for the longest time had the, the symbolic X, you know, the reclusant, I don't know, whatever symbol we, we got a name for it in, in dream drop distance. Um, it, it has also, you know, symbolized the concept of chi or key, you know, the, the keyblade symbol, you know, X has been a, a very constant symbol throughout the series. And then the fact that there's four dots there, uh, those four dots could possibly symbolize the concept of, you know, four as in quad, like quadratum. It can also symbolize four as in Kingdom Hearts 4. Um, th there's a lot of symbolism there. Now, to take that a little further and get a little bit more practical actually did talk to a, a Japanese person yesterday about what this symbol specifically means. Cause I see this symbol all the time here in Japan, but it's never been specifically explained to me what, what it means, but it does come up a lot. It's not a Japanese like language symbol. It's just a symbol that we use. And basically what it is, is a 
Japanese version of an asterisk. Now, in English, an asterisk can be used for many different things, but this is specifically the use case of an asterisk where it is used to provide additional information. So, for example, if you have an advertisement for a toy or a flashlight or something that requires batteries. And then at the bottom of the advertisement, there's a little asterisk and it says batteries not included. Or if you buy some, or if you see an ad for Ikea furniture and then at the bottom says assembly required and there's an asterisk that indicates that. Or if you're reading a story or not a story, but like a, a news article and, uh, you know, they use a word that might be unfamiliar and then they put an asterisk there. And then at the bottom of the article, they have a, a, a another asterisk that explains what that word means. That is specifically what this mark is used for. It's for additional information. It is known as a reference marker. In Japanese, uh, this uh, mark is called komejirushi. So kome as in rice and jirushi as in like, I don't know, like a star mark. So the reason why it's got rice is the only reason it, they, they call it, uh you know, like a rice mark is like, because it looks like the kanji for rice. If you look up what the kanji for rice is, it's kome. Uh, it kind of looks a little bit similar to this mark. That's the only reason. It's just visual. So... This komejirushi is specifically a reference marker to detail more information. Now, how does the concept of additional information of a reference, how does the concept of a reference mark relate to a world? I don't know. We don't know. That's all in the mind of the world. I don't know. But I just wanted to be sure that we we had that context because actually like the day after, because I I didn't put two and two together at that point, but the day after at work, when I was at school, uh, one of the teachers that I work with, I, he was checking, uh, students homework. Right. And he's got like a, he's got a book where it's like an, almost like an attendance list, but then next to their name, it'll, uh, so the column each column is titled by the homework assignment. And then he'll call up each student and be like, oh, show me your homework. And then if they did their homework, he'll draw a circle in that box for their name for that homework. That means that they did it. If they didn't do their homework, he'll write an X, which means they didn't do their homework. But then for one of the students, she said like, oh, sorry, I was out that day. I was sick. And then he wrote this mark. He wrote that komejirushi mark, and I was just like, oh my god, what does that mean? I saw that yesterday in Union Cross's finale. What does that mean? <laughs> but then I asked, you know, that person yesterday, Japanese person, what it meant, and she explained the whole reference mark concept that it's just like an asterisk. I'm like, oh. And then I explained the situation with my uh, my teacher that he wrote that, and then she was like, oh, I don't know what that, I don't know what he meant by that. <laughs> So I don't know. Maybe there's an additional meaning that only old people would know. By the way, this teacher that I'm referring to is very old, uh, old enough to get a COVID vaccine already in Japan. So at least over 65. So pretty old. So there might be an old man 
additional meaning that I don't know about. It could also just mean that he was writing an X and he decided to make it a komejirushi. I don't know. Whatever. Don't read into that part. Moving on. So after, uh, so yeah, basically Master of Masters says he's going to this fictional world, a, a realm where light and dark can't reach, uh, a fictional world, and it's a world of asterisk. Churro, do you have any thoughts on this? I know a lot of this is like, I mean, for the most part, a lot of this we do know about, like up until, you know, I think this might be the first time he refers to it as a a fictional world, which ties it more in line with what we heard from uh, in Melody of Memory. So it's a lot more clearly connected now. I mean, obviously, we saw him in Quadratum in the uh, in the secret ending of Kingdom Hearts three, but now it's a you know a lot more clear. But uh, what do you feel about what was discussed here and this whole like asterisk world? Oh man, it's just it's a lot to take in because it's like we still don't know what it means by unreality or fictional yet. Yeah, you know because you know we all know that Sora got thrown into a video game world, you know, video game. Via yeah. TV by young Zaynort, you know. Then all of a sudden, that game itself became becomes a real world or unreal world. In yeah. This case. So it's like Pretty okay. Much. So now we're just we're just asking how is that possible now? And unfortunately, yeah. there's nothing to actually address that for now. Yeah. So it's just. I guess I kind of wonder though. So. My main question is, like, why? Why is he going here? And I guess the main value that, you know, based off of the information we have, which is very limited, is the fact that he's claiming that this place is a place where light and dark can't reach. So, because, since... Because fiction is something that's, like, make-believe, like a story, you know? Yeah. Considering that Disney worlds itself are or acts of fiction, you know, which is That's ironic. the thing that I don't understand is like, if this, here's the thing is like, okay, we're talking about a, a world of fiction yet. Quadratum is the most real of any world we've ever seen, I guess, apart from pirates, of the Caribbean, but like, it's the most real world we've ever seen. And absolutely every other world we've ever been to has been nothing but fiction and we are he's literally coming from a world described as a realm of fairy tales so i just don't see how like what aspect of quadratum is fiction that part about it doesn't make sense to me it could just be an english thing you know we've we've had lots of issues with this in the past like for example heartless and nobody Heartless are beings of form that are made from hearts. They are not heartless. They don't they don't exist without hearts. They literally are hearts. And nobodies are bodies that have no hearts. There it's not that they are no bodies as in they have no body. They are bodies, they have no hearts. So in reality, nobodies are heartless and heartless are nobodies so that i chalk up to an english problem is that they (laughs) there's an issue with the english naming scheme so maybe there's an issue with the english here too is what i'm possibly coming to think 
And trust me, as an English teacher living in Japan, I'm very quick to believe that there could be an English problem here. But, yeah, I'm not really sure <laughs> what to take of it, but, yeah. Didn't also the Master of Masters state what exactly what Zaynard said to Kyrie in Melody Memory, a place where your voice is no longer reaches? Mm-hmm. I wonder yeah. how that, what that means, like... What do you yeah. mean by where your voice no longer can be heard? Yeah, I, I just I really wonder, like why, like what value, you know, does this have to his plans? Because you know, as far as we know, at least what he stated to Lushu of what we know of his plans is that his goal was to create vessels for darkness so that they could be taken on and they could be sacrificed, killed off, I suppose, to destroy darkness for good. That seems to be at least at face value. That's what he wants to do. But if he's going to a world where light and darkness for the most part can't reach and I guess have no meaning, then is he trying to stall out the the war? Is he just like giving up and running away so that it can never be solved? So it's unclear. It, it's very possible that his stated goals and his actual goals are probably just different. So maybe yet again there is more depth to the reality of his goals than we're being led to believe at this moment and that's why he's going there is to fulfill his actual goals so hard to say but yeah that's a that's a something we'll be learning about over the next decade i'm sure yeah pretty much so, yeah, uh, next big scene in the real world, Daybreak Town, Ephemer and Skull decide to jump with the arcs to the, into the future for safety. At this point, Ephemer remembers the player and their time together Aww. and sheds a very sad tear as they make the jump. The building around them then collapses as they are making their jump, and it is uh, at that point unclear what happens. But, you know, we, we find out a little more later. Uh, then uh, after that, uh, so, yeah, we, we discussed the fact that before, uh, you know, uh, pl- the player uh, was dying, he, the, he or she fades away and is now in a sort of like purgatory state of light. And surrounding them are the souls and Chirithis of many other fallen Keyblade wielders. And the player is presented with two choices, not two choices you can make, but you know, in story, the player is presented two choices. And uh, one possibility is the player can choose to sleep. And if they decide to sleep, their Chirithi will uh, merge with them to protect them. And their body will become a dream eater, specifically a spirit, a a, 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 a dream eater of light, just like we uh, encountered and uh, were allies with uh, back in Dream Drop Distance. So that explains how dream eaters come into existence. It's their Chirithi protecting them after they have fallen. So they're literally spirits of fallen Keyblade wielders, which... 
puts a big uh, man really makes dream drop distance hit a lot different, doesn't it? it? it no Mario likes doing that. He likes to like would do when you know. Remember when it's we that classic. It's that classic uh, Hideo Kojima line about uh, about quiet. You will be ashamed of your words and deeds. Yes, because Nomura likes to, in in current times, he likes to make an existing work be more relevant than it did, just like he did with Recoded. Yep, yep with Recoded, exactly. Oh, man. He especially likes to do that with anything that people heavily criticized. And I think the Dream Eaters definitely got their fair share of criticism. So now it's just like, oh my god, before there was just this uh, pain in the butt thing that you had to deal with that was just like a big waste of time. And then now it's like, oh my god, I'm so sorry. (laughs) The falling Keyblade wielders. So that's where they went. So that, that explains that. And then there's another option which I guess is a bit uh, controversial. So we can explain the different options of how you can, uh, you know, conceptualize this. I'm sure this will be a uh, an ongoing discussion forever and probably will just require, uh, you know, Nomura coming out in an Ultimania or something and like setting the record straight for real. Uh, but yeah, there's an option of rebirth, I'll put an asterisk there. Option of rebirth. Uh, where you can join your heart with another and effectively live on. Not as yourself, but continue to live on as someone else. You may call that rebirth reincarnation. I personally, I align with that that take. So I'll first quickly explain what the following scenes would mean as if this is pure reincarnation. And then we can talk about the other interpretation that's not reincarnation. And we can weigh out the options, see which one's better. So, assuming it's reincarnation, the player chooses this option. Whatever this option means, that's what the player chose, is to be reborn. So... We next cut to a scene uh, in a mysterious ta- town. It's kind of dark looking, but not, not that dark. Kind of gray. And there's a woman carrying a baby. And this baby is handed off to an, uh, an old person in a cloak. Has a cane. This old person then takes this baby away. Goes to Destiny Islands. And raises this child. And as this child grows up... This child becomes Xehanort. So, taking this route, if we are to assume this is literal reincarnation, the player dies, their soul is put into the body of a baby in this town, and is then taken onto Dusty Islands and becomes Xehanort. And literally, the villain of the entire series... It was you, Churro. It was you, Brandon. You were Xehanort this whole time. What did you tell me? I tried to, but I forgot everything. (laughs) Yeah, but you forgot everything. Yeah, exactly. So you were Xehanort. I was Xehanort. All of us. We are all Xehanort in this interpretation of it. I think that's awesome. 
because it really does put a very different spin on the entire series and feels very Nomura to go that route. I like it. The other really uh, powerful thing that happens when you think of it that way is when you go back to the ending of Kingdom Hearts 3, where possibly you, the player, bequeaths the, the, the key blade to Sora, who is also a player character. So you are passing the baton from you to you. <laughs> it's interesting. So that's one possible take on it. Another take on it, going purely based on the concept of join your heart with another, is that this is what Ven did at the end of Birth by Sleep with Sora. So when Ven fell, you know, after, you know, defeating Vanitas and, you know, he's dying, his heart is separated from his body. He's dying. His heart's going. But then Sora is receptive to his heart and invites Ven in to stay with him as he, you know, is slumbering. And, you know, that's what happens. And then... Later in the future, we're able to rescue Ven out of Sora's heart. You know, he was in there sleeping. We woke him up, brought him out. So that is another option to what has happened. So if that's the route that it actually is, then the player's heart has joined with Zehanort's heart and is inside of Zehanort and is just going along for the ride as Xehanort does whatever he does. Because that's what happened with Ven and Sora. Ven did not influence Sora. Ven did not tell Sora to do anything. Ven was sleeping. Ven's heart was there, but he had no influence over Sora. He was going along for the ride, and he was being protected. That's what happened. The only thing that Ven being in there influenced whatsoever was the appearance of Sora's nobody Roxas. That is the only evidence at all of Ven having anything to do with Sora once he joined. That's it. After that, Ven is just there, and he's just there for the ride. Now, it's very clear. I don't. I probably don't have to point out how much lamer that would be. That like, oh, um, it's not that you're Xehanort. It's just that you're going along for the ride with Xehanort. Like, that's a lot lamer of a take than you literally become Xehanort and you are your own enemy. That's way cooler. Yeah. Which is why I'm a lot more inclined to accept full-on 100% hardcore reincarnation. I think that's way cooler. So just going along for the ride, that's kind of lame. But maybe that's what it is. Um We'll have to see, Chur, you know, Churro. I, I want to hear your take on this. What are, what is your take on this whole rebirth route? What do you think about this thing and, and the possibility of it being either full on reincarnation or just, you know, your heart joined with Xehanort and you're just along for the ride, just like Ven was along for the ride. Um, I'm not because it's harder to really get a grip on what's really happening because it's like 
When, it's vague. Well, yeah, it's very vague because when the player closes his eyes, you know, you see a glimpse of like Xehanort is a Xehanort's, baby. Yeah, Xehanort's whole life up until what like, happens in Dark Road. Yeah, so it's like we don't know if that's like the player just imagining that's what he's going to go be be when he reawakens or mm-hmm. or what. It's I don't know, like it's hard to really because thing is, is that I don't want to call it reincarnation yet until we mm-hmm. know for sure that's how it works because you know how Namora and his way of naming things isn't exactly yeah clear he, he would call it something else yeah so honestly it could be either or like what you said it could be his heart just along for the ride or eventually if Namora does say it is reincarnation then he's gonna reincarnate to Zaynort. Yeah. I got one last thing that uh, we've talked about, but I will I will just mention it uh, is another reason why I like the option of full on 100 percent. It's reincarnation. And this is not saying that there's evidence for this. I'm just saying that I like it better. I think it's a better uh, story tool. It's a better tool for the plot. And my main reason for liking it is that it completely erases the possibility of the player character ever coming back. And that's the problem with if it's just if it if the player character's heart is just along for the ride, then just like Ven, the player character can come back. But if the player character becomes Xehanort, then the player character fully and truly is taken care of is dealt with as a concept because they are now xehanort we know what happens to xehanort we see their entire life literally from being a baby just born all the way to them being an old man and we killed them (laughs) so we see their whole life we know exactly what happens to that guy you don't have to worry about the continuing adventures of player character. This is possibly the most definitive end of any character we've ever seen in Kingdom Hearts. Because literally any character in Kingdom Hearts, I don't care what happens to them. If Nomura wants them back, they can be back. The problem is player character is a character that anyone can design themselves they can be. They could have a, a rainbow afro, a Winnie the Pooh hat. They could be dressed like Sora. They could be dressed like Axel with Roxas's clothes. It could be anything. Like that character cannot exist in canon media. So the player character literally becoming Xehanort and having their whole story resolved that way is the most definitive clear way to get rid of them as a plot inconvenience that I've ever seen in the Kingdom Hearts series. And that is why I think, without a doubt, this is a true reincarnation because it erases them as a problem. Just killing the player is not enough because we've killed so many enemies and so many friends have, quote-unquote, died in certain ways, one way or the other, and have come back. Death is not enough for the player. They need to have a full legacy established so that we never wonder what happens to them. And if they ever come back, it's Xehanort that's coming back, not the player character, not uh, Winnie the Pooh disco man. 
it's going to be Xehanort. So that's my thing. Feel free to, you know, continue to discuss this over the next decade. I'm sure we will, uh, at least until Nomura uh, comes out and says it. Because, yeah, like you said, Churro, until Nomura says one way or the other, we we can't know for sure. That's just how Kingdom Hearts is. So maybe there'll be like a Ultimania later or something. All right, so uh, yeah, continuing on from there, uh, we next get to see uh, uh, in a, I believe, yeah, after this, so so that's where the game ends, and then we get the credits. We then get a full epilogue slash secret ending, so let's let's get into all of the stuff that happens there real quick. Ephemer exits his pod in a sea of rubble, and you know, based off of some of the information that we get from here, it's possible that this is saying that Ephemer's pod didn't work, that he didn't go anywhere. He stayed in Daybreak Town, and this is him exiting the pod after all the destruction was already over. It probably left and, and he they stayed just came behind, back. or that, yeah, left or, that back. or that, it just teleported him somewhere within the area still. Yeah, like yeah, a, possibly. Yeah. That's the thing is like with the way they sent themselves it's really not clear where they were going to end up because you know you know like master master says you know there's a very clear uh requirements here you need someone that remembers you and you need a medium and if you don't have any of those it's like who knows what's going to happen so it could be literally like oh you teleported to five minutes into the future or 20 minutes or you teleported to a week later after all the rubble uh, sank to the bottom. You know, it could it could have been like literally just a couple minutes later for all we know. So, yeah, either way, it, it definitely seems like if Ephemer went anywhere, it didn't seem like he went very far at all. Uh, especially based off of information we get later. Uh, next one is uh, we see uh, Maleficent's cloak being carried to the mysterious tower so she can be uh, uh so it can be witnessed and remembered by the three fairies which we saw in kingdom hearts 2 so that sort of you know completely ties that up for us um so yeah she dies in kingdom hearts 1 goes to world of darkness somehow gets trapped in the data world uh cuz they don't want her time traveling around cuz she crazy she crazy <laughs> Uh, darkness helps her get out and, uh, uh, you know, assumedly darkness also goes with her and that's, that's the deal. And then, uh, her side of the bargain gets fulfilled by her being remembered and being brought back to life. And that sort of links her back up to what we know about her. Uh, next Marluxia awakens in a field of flowers in the dwarf woodlands. Elrena, uh, awakens during a thunderstorm in enchanted dominion. Let's lightning. not, <laughs> yeah, lightning. Let's not, yeah, let's not uh, forget to recognize the symbolism of both of these. Marluxia awakens among flowers. That's one of his features when that, he when yeah, battling that's, him. That's his, yeah, it's like he's like, if he's got a Pokemon element, it's flowers. And then uh, clearly Elrena. Oh, I wrote this as Marluxia. Lorium. Let me be clear. This is Lorium. Lorium awakens in a field of flowers, and Elrena, who becomes Larkstein, who uses lightning magic, 
awakens during a thunderstorm in Enchanted Dominion. And then Ven uh, is uh, found lying in the Keyblade graveyard, and a shadowy figure shows up, I guess, to meet him or to see him or to steal him away, uh, which we could probably assume is possibly Master Xehanort, based off of what we know from, uh, you know, Kingdom Hearts uh, Birth by Sleep. Seems to line up. And then later, uh, we see Lushu in the Keyblade graveyard. He's dragging the box. He's got the no-name Keyblade. And he pulls off his hood. And his face is Brain's face. Dun, dun, dun. There you go. That was the uh, one of the twists. Yeah, that's another twist. So... Let's let's get back to that in a second, and then uh, Brain. Uh, we see later in the next scene, Brain awakens in the same a mysterious town that Xehanort was born in, and this seems like a completely different time. So, before we move on, I want to get back to the the Lushu thing. So, so now we know that there's a Brain that wakes up somewhere. That is brain that that we know, and then there's Lushu that's got brain's face. So we don't know exactly how much that's separated in time, or if there's time travel or what, or I don't know. But it seems like at the end of that one scene where Lushu's like, it would be a shame if you know someone as brilliant you as you would die here. It seems like this is what was the result of whatever, you know, they, they struck a deal and this was the result. It's like, I guess, you know, merge with me or something. Let me pass you the Keyblade and merge with me. Because we do know that, uh, you know, Bragg says as much, or, you know, Bragg slash Lushu says as much, that he's lived many lives and has watched the Keyblade pass down from master to master. And, you know, so this is, you know, one of those clearly one of those passing down of Keyblades. But also, you know, clearly uh, Bragg also says that he's lived many lives, many, uh, you know, under many identities. So clearly this is one of the identities that he assumes is brain. Now, I don't know, Churro, do you think they're living simultaneously together at the same time period? He just has his face now? Or I've heard another uh, take on it is that Lushu takes on Brain's identity and then in exchange until he doesn't need the identity anymore, he's going to use Brain's identity. And then when he decides to pass on the Keyblade again, then he'll free Brain and then Brain can go on and live his life over in, uh, you know, his next life. I, I, I don't know, you know, what what your take on it is, but what, what do you feel about it? All I can say is that's a possibility because we don't exactly know what it means to i mean we don't know if how lushu does it exactly how xehanor did it with yeah Terra, yeah know? yeah true so if anything i mean i'm just gonna go based off of that because that's the only example we have mm-hmm. so i can imagine lushu is part of you know brain you know yeah. using you know his whatever his essence inside of brain causing you know yeah Allowing it's almost to... like the it's almost like the reverse of yeah. what Sora and Ventus have. Yeah, because Ventus did not have control over Sora's body at all, 
was just he was just inside. Whereas in Xehanort and Terra's case, it's the opposite. Terra they were, they were had very over. little control. They were fighting over control at one point until yeah. t- uh, Xehanort sealed it by stabbing himself with the Keyblade again. Yep, exactly. So then, yeah, then Xehanort takes yeah pretty much full control. And uh, it's not till way later, not until Kingdom Hearts 3, that we finally get the Xehanort out of him. <laughs> you know, we slap the Xehanort <laughs> out of him eventually. And uh, put uh, the, the man who stands behind Heartless... Put that guy back in, you know, Terra as a heartless. So, uh, yeah, uh, I'm with you, Chura. I I could see it being more like that, but I think possibly like the way it came across was it might have been like less antagonistic. Like I, I, I don't get the same vibe as like, you know, in the case of Terra and Xehanort, that was non consensual. That was not something that they both agreed on. Whereas in Brain and Lushu's case, it seems more like they struck a deal. Like, they're both very crafty people, very smart. I could see Brain being very logical about it. It's like, oh, well, you know, if I go with this route, then I'm going to have another chance. So, yeah, let's do it. Like, take my body. Let's go. You know, if you can get me out of here, get me out of here. And especially if the result is what we see at the end of... Uh, at the end of the secret ending where they end up in the next town and now brain is, you know, as far as we can tell brain is just brain at this point. Like there's nothing weird about him. Like he's not secretly harboring Lushu or anything. It just looks like a normal guy. So maybe that's what he got in exchange. It seems like a fair trade to me. So uh, yeah, I guess uh, the next uh, thing is like, okay, so getting back into that scene. So brain brain awakens in this town, that same town that, Xehanort was born in and a person in a cloak and uh, like a very bloodborne style uh, tricorner hat <laughs> on top of his hood. It's like it's like Clodio. shows up. Yeah, it's great. Uh, Sig, uh, their name is uh, Sigurd. I don't know if it's a guy or not, but uh, whoever they are, their name is Sigurd. And uh, Sigurd uh, basically uh, says uh, is a whole, he shows up holding uh, Brain's hat, has Brain's hat waiting for him, hands it to him, and uh, basically says, "Oh yeah, we knew you were going to arrive here on this day at this time." And then uh, just wait a second, I'm going to report back. Uh, I need to make a report. He touches his ear as he's like, you know, talking into an earpiece, and it's like, "Oh yeah, uh, HQ, we got him. I'm going to bring him over." And, uh, it seems like they're, they're friendly. Um, but yeah, basically states that it was set in stone that brain would escape the destruction of daybreak town and arrive here on this day. And that, uh, brain asked like, Oh, but there were many others. Like, did anyone else show up, uh, show up here? Are there anyone else here that I know? And then, uh, basically Sigurd informs him that, no, uh, you're the only one that arrives in this era. And, uh, later, uh, he says like, okay, you know, we'll explain you more at the, at HQ. So come along with us. And then as they're walking through the town and the town center, they see a, uh, a fountain and on top of a fountain, there's a, uh, clearly an older sculpture of Ephemer holding a, holding aloft the master defender, which if I'm not mistaken, uh, he got master defender from brain. Like he was given it, given to it from brain, 
uh, to carry on to the future. So that should, and they basically explained that, yeah, this is a, a statue to Ephemer, the very first uh, Keyblade Master that established this town, Scala Ad Kylum, which lot to unpack there, but yeah, basically it sounds like, uh, yeah, Ephemer, Ephemer made it out of the disaster, or at least survived the disaster, but clearly didn't make it very far timeline-wise, because after that, he's the one who creates Scala Ad Kylum, and yeah, apparently this place that we're in is Scala Ad Kylum. Now, it's unclear why it looks the way it does, because it looks a lot darker, in my opinion, than what we saw in, um, you know, in the version of Scala Ad Kylum that we know of, that is the final version of it, uh, before Scala Ad Kylum as well gets destroyed. Um, so, th- you know, this might just be a different era. The only odd thing that I want to know, and I, I guess I want to get your opinion on this, Churro, is that it seems like this Scala Ad Kylum at least to me, feels a bit more technologically advanced as far as we can tell based off of other the other iteration of Skullad Kylum that we are aware of, which so, you can see in Dark Road. You know, we don't see, like, these crazy, like, more modern street signs or, like, people talking into earpieces and, uh, you know, I don't see, uh, you know, t- the, the Odin, Odin Sensei. I don't see him doing that, like... I don't see them on like uh, you know having technology like that. We just so don't, don't know, know what's what, going on what, there. What day and time this period is? Yeah. That brain went to because you know because the way a lot of people I've been seeing a lot of people say that the statue of Ephemer could be that Ephemer was the creator of the you know he created Scarlet Kylum the first Keyblade Master, but that could that statue could be just a symbol you know of him you know creating it and then he has already passed on. You know, yeah. or that it's just a, a statue dedicated to him being the first one, and he's still alive. You know, we don't, and then mm. we don't know how far advanced this is from when Zaynort's time. You know, you know, yeah, how much further that ahead that is. Yeah, so we have no idea what what time zone this is in. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we also don't know like how far apart in time is Brain arriving there versus baby Xehanort being born and sent to Destiny Islands? Mm-hmm. Because and the war is time from Lorium or Rena's, Ven's, yeah. you know, arrival to their destinations. We have no idea where in this time period where they're at yeah. right now. Yeah, I would have to guess that Lorium... Elrena and Ven, them arriving, those are probably roughly the same time. Because if you think about it, if Lorium and Ven, you know, just go on and live their lives however they are without their memories and, you know, go from world to world however they do, uh, during that 10 year gap until t- Chain of Memories, that's about how much they would age. So that makes sense that that would be birth by sleep time. And the only reason Ven stays so young is because, you know, he basically died and skipped all that time. So that makes sense timeline wise to me. Um, In the case of Xehanort being born, you know, he's like, what, 85 or something, 80 something. So that that would mean that Scala Ad Kylum existed at the very least uh, you know, for 80 years prior to, you know, the, the beginning of Kingdom Hearts and I guess at some point got destroyed. Maybe we'll see that 
at, in, in the finale of Dark Road. We'll have to see, but yeah, that it, it's very hard to tell because so let's say okay, this is Skalad Kylum. The only thing I could think of is that this is just like a different part of Scala Ad Kylum, a different part that we haven't seen. Like I'm assuming on the same island because for the most part, like we heard from Dark Road, they said like, oh, all the other islands are empty. Like there's no one there. And they say like, uh, oh, um, you, you know, this is the only place where there's any people. So it would make you assume that that main island is where they're at, but maybe where uh, where Brain shows up and where HQ is, maybe it's secretly on a different island that most people don't go to, you know, just yeah. to hide away. And maybe that's why it looks different from the main island that we saw where most of the people are. So that's a possibility. In terms of timeline, <laughs> I've got to guess that Ephemer is long dead. Uh, Ephemer did not make it very much past the destruction of Daybreak Town. He made Scala Ad Kylum, lived his life, and died uh, a death at an old age, is my guess. And uh, we don't know how many, you know, hundreds or thousands of years it's been, but he was, you know, as far as they're concerned, the first, and he's a historical figure as far as they're concerned. And uh, the time period that we see here is, I don't know about with Brain, but at least with Xehanort, that's, you know, 80 years roughly before Kingdom Hearts because, you know, he's a baby, just got born, you know, and uh, he goes to Destiny Islands. He grows up to be like, what, maybe 14, something like that, then goes to another world, uh, ends up in, uh, uh, gets encountered by uh, Ansem, tra- time traveling back in time. Ansem uh, sends uh, little Xehanort off to Skala Kylum, uh, where he arrives, and then Dark Road happens. So, you know, timeline-wise, that seems to make sense to me. But, uh, you know, hard to say 100%, but uh, my gut feeling is that Ephemer is long gone and long dead. That's my gut feeling. I've heard some people say that, oh, well, maybe um, maybe the cloaked old man is Ephemer. Possible, but I don't know. The way they talk about Ephemer, it sounds like he's a bit more distant than that. So, I mean, Hard the to kids, say. I mean, the guy's been through a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So I'd say let Ephemer rest. He, he, he had his stint in Kingdom Hearts 3. I think that's enough. So yeah, that's pretty much the uh, the ending. Uh, the, the last bit of information we get is an oath to return to Kingdom Hearts. So that's going to be the new tagline now. No more reconnect. King, yeah, Kingdom Hearts. Uh, Kingdom Hearts Four confirmed. <laughs> <laughs> Not really, but something, something Kingdom Hearts will come. That's all we can say. All right, Cheryl, that was a uh, that was a big one, but uh, we we got through it. There was a lot to it, and uh, I'm I'm hoping you know we'll get the official English version. I, one thing that I'm really hoping for of the official English version is obviously one more clarity, but two, the one thing that I think we could get at least more clarity on is that symbol 
Because at least in the Japanese version, they use the komejirushi for the world that they describe of for Quadratum. They use the komejirushi because that has some meaning in Japan. I wonder if they're going to use the same symbol in the English version. Or if they're going to use an asterisk, which would be the actual equivalent in English. You know, we'll, we'll have to see like what they exactly decide to put there in the English version, but... I'm very excited. I, I feel like the the one downside, though, is if they go full translation and just put an asterisk, they're going to lose out on the symbolism that the Komejirushi has of it being an X with four dots. Like, that has a lot of symbolism to it, whereas I don't think an asterisk would have the same weight. But, uh, yeah, this is yet another uh, uh, good luck translators moment. <laughs> I think they need a raise after this. Churro, is there anything, is is there any part of this that you want more clarification that you could think, that you think you could get from an official translation? Hmm. Is there any like part of this that is just maybe a little too unclear because it's, you know, fan translation? I mean, for the fan translation thing, I mean, we have, uh, what did you get the translations from, first of all? I watched both uh, uh, the Kingdom Hearts Insider one and I watched the Everglow one. So, well, Gage Insider d- uses one of the best translators, which is Gold Panner. So I trust yeah, her yeah. wording, you know, a lot. So yeah, you know, um, as far as I could tell, like at least on the points where I was a little bit unsure, I cross reference both the Everglow one and the Gold Panner one, and yeah, they're pretty much the same. So. And, yeah. you know, I, I, I che- in extreme cases, like with the Komejirushi one, I went and checked myself to see if I, I could find that in the Japanese. And it, sure enough, it was there. So, yeah, but you know, like, you as, know how the English version will change something like yeah, yeah. a different meaning, like remember Ark and then we got lifeboats. Yeah. You yeah. know, so it, I think it's going to be a small minor changes. That's all it's going to be. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that. So. Yeah, uh, we'll we'll have to hold out, see when they release it. Maybe we'll get more information by E3. By the way, uh, E3, uh, the Square Enix thing, isn't that on the 13th? Uh, June 13th, Sunday? Let me check the calendar. Yeah, yeah, Square Enix is June 13th, which is going to be in my... It should be next Sunday, or this coming Sunday. All right, so let's, uh, let's all watch out for that. I doubt there are going to be th- that much at uh, that for Kingdom Hearts, just based off of you know all this uh, wonderful cornucopia of story that we got. And yeah, Nomar also, got- also stated that you know don't expect anything announced yeah. this year. So yeah, and then on top of that, you know we we got our message. It's at the end. It says Oath to Return to Kingdom Hearts. I think that's about all we can really expect realistically. So yeah. Anything else we get this year is going to be uh, kind of uh, icing on the cake, but don't expect anything. All right. Well, that uh, that brings us to the end. Our music for this episode is a wonderful piano or uh, actually just full on jazz cover of uh, Melody of Memories, uh, Dearly Beloved uh, swing version. So this one comes from... Uh, eric l on youtube we've had his music on the show all the time so uh definitely check him out uh he's awesome our next episode of kingdom hearts unit is scheduled for the 22nd of june so that's going to be well after uh e3 so we'll have plenty of stuff to talk about then i'm sure 
or not. <laughs> Depends on what happens. So, uh, we'll, we'll talk about something. I don't know what, but we'll talk about something next episode. And, uh, yeah, that, uh, that pretty much wraps up that. So, uh, as always, if you guys like the show, please subscribe to Final Fantasy and Kingdom Hearts Union on the iTunes store. Just search for us, and we are number one. Oh, just search Kingdom Hearts, and we are number one. And, of course, you can catch every episode at KingdomHeartsUnion.com, Spotify, or... Kingdom Hearts Union's Twitter, which is at KHUnion. And remember, you can support us on Patreon at Patreon.com slash FFKHUnion. And... If you have any questions, send us your questions via email to kchuquestions at gmail.com. All right, Cheryl, that was a big one, but we made it. Yes, we did. It was hopefully you guys got to enjoy that because it might be a while before we get something like this again. Yeah. Well, there'll at least be the the Dark Road ending. Dark Road, yeah. Uh, We'll have that. There'll be a little more. This is just, I mean, it's, it felt like a main course, but now we got yeah, dessert, yeah, yeah. which is Dark Road coming up. Yeah, Dark Road's dessert, for sure. So, yeah. yeah. You this, guys... This is great. It's a, it's a lot of food for thought, as they say. Yep, exactly. A lot of food for thought. <laughs> All right, Cheryl. <sighs> bye time. Let's say goodbye. All right, guys. Uh, goodbye. We'll talk to you later, and uh, yeah, see you later. And I'm Brandon saying goodbye. This has been a KingdomHeartsUnion.com production.